Amen. Well, we'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 again. We're continuing to teach along the lines of spiritual dominion and authority here on the earth. And uh, we've used Genesis 1.26 as kind of a jumping off point for, uh, for that series. It tells us in the story of creation, God's plan for, for mankind, his purpose for creating man. Genesis 1.26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. It is an undisputable, indisputable fact that God created. It's, it's uh, not very widely accepted in the church, but it is without dispute that God created man for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was not to have fellowship with him, not because God was lonely. All these things we hear people talking about from time to time. God created man for one purpose, and that was for him to have dominion over the earth, to be a ruler over the work of God's hands, over all of God's created works. In that sense, Adam was the God of this world. He was created to be the God of this world. Now notice it says that God's plan and God, uh, what he accomplished was to make man after his likeness and in his image. What that means is very simply this. God made man an exact, an exact duplication of himself. I know that's hard for us to accept, but the only difference between the man that he made and himself was the flesh and blood body that the man had. Other than that, man was an exact duplication of God. He was a spirit being just like God's a spirit being. He was an eternal spirit just like God's an eternal spirit. Everything that we could, every characteristic that we could identify about God was created to be so in man in the exact same image and after his likeness. Now, we know what happened. Man had authority here on the earth. He was designed to exercise that authority in the same way that God had created the earth and done his works. In my opinion, you judge this for yourself, but I believe the reason that the Bible tells us Ten times in Genesis chapter 1 that God said something and it was or that he created the world with his words is because it shows us as an exact copy or duplication of God himself how man was supposed to exercise his authority and, the, and dominion, the dominion that had been given here in the earth. Well, we know what happened. God gave man a command not to eat of the, fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And man disobeyed him. Eve was tempted by the enemy. Adam did it with his eyes wide open, the Bible says. But they both sinned. One was tricked. The other chose to disobey God. And the source of their life, the source of their existence changed. Up until that point in time, their existence was the the result of the life of God, even the very spirit of God that was in man. Now man, now when the fall takes place, man becomes subject to the elements of the world. Spiritual death, which is what God said would happen if he disobeyed him, if man disobeyed his command. Spiritual death takes hold of mankind. The Bible says in Romans 5.12, Wherefore as by one man, speaking of Adam, Wherefore as by one man sin entered the world and death by sin, and so death, talking about spiritual death, passed upon every man. We know it was spiritual death, 
and not physical death because God said in the day that you eat thereof you shall surely die. Well, Adam didn't die physically that day. But he did die spiritually. He was separated from God. So now God is locked out of the creation plan and his intent where man was concerned. Because now man is no longer the God of this world. I know some people have a hard time with that phrase. But it just by that I just simply mean the ruler of the earth. But Satan is. You may recall that in uh, Luke chapter 4 when um, Jesus is being tempted. Satan shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He said, I'll give you all the power and the glory of these things if you'll fall down and worship me because this has been delivered unto me. Well, who delivered it? God sure didn't give it to him. God didn't create the world to operate that way. Man transferred his authority unto Satan. And so Satan then, according to Paul's inspired letter to the church, Satan then becomes the God of this world. Well, that's why I say that Adam was the God of this world beforehand. And again, by that, I just mean he was the ruler of the works of God's hands. So God's locked out of his communion, fellowship, and relationship with his man, the greatest of his creations, and now God's locked out. So he comes up with a way to show himself to be a loving and good heavenly father, merciful heavenly father. He makes a covenant with, his, with, uh, with Abraham. And through this covenant, through the obedience to the covenant that God makes with Abraham, he is once again in, enabled to show his goodness and to utilize his power on behalf of man. Now, this is, uh, let me explain my terms because this is a very important point. When the Bible says God created man to have dominion on the earth, that doesn't mean God and man together ruled the earth. See, much of the church world, maybe most of the church world, has the idea that God can do anything he wants to do. Well, how is that possible? If man was given authority on the earth, then how is God able to circumvent the fact that man is no longer the God of this world and to intervene? John Wesley said that it seems God can do nothing on the earth except man ask him to do so. He added this phrase. He said, why that is, we don't know. Well, John didn't know, but we do. The reason is because man has authority on the earth, not God. And unless man, a flesh and blood man, invites God according to the old covenant during the old covenant times or according to the new covenant in Christ that we have now, except on legal terms, God has no right to operate in the earth even though he's the creator thereof. Well, the the covenant blessings that God promised Abraham that were enumerated and specified through the law of Moses enabled man to overcome the curse that came on the world and came on mankind as a result of spiritual death overtaking man. Specifically, it talks about in the creation, God made man to be free from sickness and disease. There was nothing that could hurt man 
God looked at everything he made and said that it was very good. There was no sickness to be found. Man was created to be free from sickness and disease and to walk in divine health. But the perversion of that divine health that came as a result of spiritual death overtaking mankind, man's flesh and bone body now becomes subject to sickness and disease. In the same way, man was created to exercise authority over the earth so that the earth would produce for mankind naturally. But a part of the curse that came upon man as a result of the fall and spiritual death entering into the scene was poverty and lack. Well, God was able to overcome these consequences of spiritual death, at least in a measure, through man's obedience to the covenant that he made with Abraham. Then Jesus comes on the scene, a couple of thousand years later, Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus is born in a supernatural manner for a very specific purpose. Remember that God's intent was for man to have dominion over the works of his hands here in the earth, to be the ruler of the earth. Well, if that was God's original intent, what's his intent now? Bible says God never changes. You need to understand something, folks. Everything that Jesus did for you, everything that God has done for mankind was to restore man to the place of authority according to God's original design, according to his original intent. And if you and I are not exercising authority in the earth over spiritual death and the consequences thereof, sin, sickness, disease, poverty, and so forth, then we're not fulfilling God's original intent for our lives. That has to be true, does it not? If God wanted man to have dominion over the work of his hands, God's plan now cannot be just for man to get saved and and tough it out until we get to heaven. If that were the case, then God would have changed, which would make the Bible a lie. God's intent is the same now as it was in the beginning. And that is for you and I, all of his children, to have dominion in the earth. To be the ruler over the earth and to rule over the consequences of spiritual death in our own lives. Well, Jesus comes on the scene and does exactly that. His birth is supernatural. He's born of a virgin so that he can bypass the spiritual death that passes on from man to sons and daughters. So he's born of a virgin. The Holy Ghost overshadows Mary and he's born free from the consequence of the sin and death that came upon the earth as a result of Adam's sin. He lives a sinless life. And as a result of living that sinless life, the blessings of Abraham would have to be manifested in his life. In his personal life, I'm talking about. Now, we don't know much about his personal life. We know more about his ministry life from the time that he turned 30 and for the three years that he spent in ministry before he went to the cross. But if the word of God is true, that if you obey the law of Moses, then the blessings of Abraham would be yours, then they would have to be belong to Jesus and be manifest in his life, would they not? Then at age 30, Jesus is commissioned into his public ministry 
And he's anointed by the Holy Ghost when John baptizes him. John the Baptist baptizes him in the Jordan River. At that point, he starts doing miracles to benefit other people. Now, it's quite possible. We can't prove it, but you couldn't disprove it either. It's quite possible that the power of God has been operating in his life, in his personal life, as a result of the blessing of Abraham that would be his as a consequence of a sinless life. Mary seems to indicate that at the wedding in Cana. When she looks to Jesus, when the wedding party has run out of uh, wine, she looks to Jesus to do something about it. Jesus kind of rebuffs her a little bit and says, I'm not supposed to be directed by you. That's my paraphrase. He says, woman, what have I to do with thee? My hour has not yet come. I think that's what he's saying to her. I'm supposed to obey what my father tells me to do, not what you tell me to do, as far as my public ministry is concerned. If that were the case, if he was directed by his mother in his public ministry, there's a lot of things he wouldn't have done. Because there were times in his public ministry that his family went to him, his mother included, and said, you've gone too far. And he said he must carry out the will of his father. Well, at any rate, at the wedding in Cana, Jesus rebuffs his mother. And then his mother turns to the servants and says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. That indicates to me, you judge it for yourself, but that indicates to me that she's used to, to, to very strange perhaps even supernatural things taking place in, in Jesus' life. It would also indicate that Jesus is operating in the blessing of Abraham or the authority that God had given man in the beginning since sin and death has not had a hold of Jesus because of his virgin birth, that the exercise of his authority is through his words. Because that's what she tells them. Whatever he says to you, you do it. Well, then Jesus begins to do public, doing, he begins to do miracles in his public ministry. He exercises authority over sickness and disease. And in his, in his public ministry, there's something that becomes a very important staple or part of the work that he does here on the earth that the modern day church seems to ignore. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 7. I know we've covered some of this before, but the things that I have on my heart to talk to you about have to build on the other things that we've already said. So forgive me for going over these things again and again. I don't think it hurts us to hear it over and over. But in case you, don't, in case you think I don't know that we've already talked about some of these things, I do. Jesus is, uh, uh, is preaching, ministering. He talks about building, his ha- building your house on the rock, meaning the foundation of God's word. And it says in verse 28 and 29, the last two verses of the chapter, and it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. Now, the word doctrine means teaching. The people were astonished at his doctrine. The people were astonished at what he taught. Now, this is... Uh, I believe this is very significant, especially in line with the subjects that we're, that we're discussing, spiritual authority and dominion. Because most of the church world, as I understand it, most of the church world thinks that Jesus did miracles in the, 
healed the sick and cast out devils and all the things that he did, turned the water into wine and walked on the water and so forth because he was the son of God. Well, Jesus is certainly at this point in time in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus has certainly developed a reputation as a miracle worker. But notice it doesn't say the people are astonished at him. The Holy Ghost is pointing out something to us that's more important than Jesus as the miracle worker. And that is the source or the foundation for the miracle works. It says the people were astonished at his teaching. The people were astonished at his teaching. Now, why would they be more astonished at his teaching than we would expect them to be astonished at him? Notice it says, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, notice in the King James, I'm reading from the King James, the word one is in italics. That means the translators added that. Let's pull that out and see if we can gain a greater understanding. For he taught them as having authority. Now, the words as having literally mean how to hold. What is Jesus teaching? Jesus is teaching how man is to exercise authority on the earth. And they're astonished at his teaching because he's teaching that man has authority on the earth. That man has authority on the earth. In John chapter 5 verse 26 and 27... Jesus, speaking of himself, says, As the Father has life in himself, so is he given to the Son to have life in himself. Verse 27 goes on to say, And has given him power, literally authority, to execute judgment because he's the Son of Man. Because he's the Son of Man. Now, folks, this is what's uh, so important, I believe, for us to understand if we're going to get a real handle on authority and the exercise of authority in the name of Jesus. And that is this. Jesus had authority here on the earth because he was born of a woman. Not because he was the son of God. Philippians chapter 2 verse 7 says he made himself of no reputation and humbled himself and came to the earth was found in the form of a servant. Meaning mankind, human flesh. Now, another translation, other translations, not just one, but several other translations say something to the effect that Jesus emptied himself of his heavenly power and glory. That's what made himself no reputation means. Turn with me over to John chapter 17. Let me prove this to you. John chapter 17, I believe is extremely significant because it's John... The Apostle John filling in the blanks for what the other gospel writers didn't tell us. He writes this some um, 60 years or so after Jesus has been to the cross. He was an eyewitness of these events as one of the 12, the last remaining living member of the 12. And it, it seems to me I started to say, you know, but I'll I'll put it this way. It seems to me that over those 60 years, the Holy Ghost has had plenty of time. And I would expect great opportunity to remind John of things that Jesus said. 
many of those things perhaps that aren't recorded. John's the one that said if everything Jesus said and did was written down, the world itself couldn't contain the books. Well, he was there for most of it. So he would become a wealth, a treasure chest of information that the other three gospels don't necessarily give us account of. And his gospel is one that the Holy Ghost inspired him to write, as I said, to fill in the blanks for us on some things that we don't have record of otherwise. John chapter 17 is one of those things. It's the prayer that Jesus prays for the church on the night that he's betrayed. Notice some things that he said. Beginning in verse 1, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son may also glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. They hadn't finished the work on the cross. But apparently everything has been set in motion. And so he is speaking from the standpoint that everything's done because he's going to follow through with his end or his part. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, verse 5, notice this. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Now, notice what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying in verse 5 that the glory that he's operating with or in on the earth to do the healings and the miracles and the signs and the wonders and so forth was not the glory that he had with the Father before the creation of the world. It's not the glory that we see evidenced in in, uh, Genesis chapter 1 when God said, the Bible says all things were created by Jesus who is the Word, who was made flesh. So when it says in Genesis chapter 1, and God said, that's Jesus in operation, operating in a different type of glory than when he was here on the earth as the Son of Man. What does that mean? Well, that's Bible confirmation that Jesus laid aside his heavenly power and glory. And he came to the earth as a man. That's why he needed to be anointed of the Holy Ghost to do signs and wonders and miracles among the people. Now, why did he lay aside his heavenly power and glory? So that he would have authority on the earth as the son of a woman. Remember, it's man that was given authority on the earth, not God. And John chapter 10, which we spent some time in several weeks ago, Jesus goes to great lengths to tell us that he, by being born of a woman, entered the earth legally. Not like Satan, who came in as a thief and a robber without a flesh and blood body. And stole man's authority. That was a very important point. Was then and is now. That's why the virgin birth is so important. If Jesus had not been born of a woman. Then the devil could have raised an accusation against God. That he operated illegally. 
So Jesus is asking the Father to glorify him. He doesn't mean before the cross. He's looking forward to the resurrection. He says, glorify thou me with the glory that I had with you before the world was. In other words, he's saying, I know that the plan is after I am raised from the dead to be restored to the glory that I laid aside. Now, why is that important? Well, turn with me over to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 gives us the end result. I'll remind you that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he stops and meets Mary in the garden. Apparently he stopped long enough to pick up his body. Meets Mary in the garden. She realizes who he is and he immediately says, don't touch me because I've not yet ascended to my father. Now the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 that Jesus entered into the heavenly holy of holies and offered his own blood as an eternal sacrifice for mankind. Apparently the Hebrews 9 experience or event had not yet taken place when he stops to get his body and sees Mary and says, don't touch me. But he comes back just a little while later, appears to the disciples and says, handle me. Touch me. Feel me. He said, I'm not a spirit because a spirit does not have flesh and bones. Now, he doesn't say flesh and blood. He said a spirit does not have flesh and bones. So what does that tell us? That tells us Jesus in his glorified body is not a flesh and blood body like man's. But it is flesh and bone. So in Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus appears to his disciples, after he's presented himself in the heavenly holy of holies, he appears to them and it says in verse, uh, well, let's start in verse 16, I guess. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them saying, all power. Now this word power is the word authority. There are two words that are translated power throughout the New Testament. One means ability and the other means authority. This is the word authority. So he says, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. What does that mean? That means he's gotten back the glory that he had with the father before the world was. That means he's been restored to the glory that he laid aside when he came to the earth to be born of a woman. That means he's gotten back everything that he had before plus a name, the Bible says in Philippians 2, that God has given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow both in heaven and in earth and under the earth. So Jesus appears back to his disciples and says, I've got all authority in heaven and earth. Now, we're right there in Matthew 28. Look back to Matthew chapter 16. Let me remind you of something else that we looked at, but these things tie together. Matthew 16, Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? 
The disciples answered and said, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. The only thing that they could come up with, man's human reasoning, was reincarnation. Then Jesus said, but who do you say I am? And Peter answers and says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Verse 17, and Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed it unto you, but my father, which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter and upon this rock. Now he's not talking about Peter being the rock. He's making a play on words. He's saying, Peter, even though you're a little rock. Upon this rock, the rock meaning the knowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Notice verse 19. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Folks, I want you to understand that Jesus... In talking about the church to come, the church that was not yet and would not yet be until after he was raised from the dead, he says that that church will be marked or identified by the authority that it holds. I want you to understand that Jesus' purpose was to restore authority back to mankind, lost authority back to mankind. So he says the church will be a church of authority. The church that I will build on the knowledge that I'm the son of God. Of course, we know that that means the resurrected son of God for us will be a church of authority. Now back to Matthew 28 in verse 18, he says to his disciples, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Then he commissions the disciples to do something here on the earth. Go ye therefore... Now, what does therefore mean? What's the word therefore, therefore? It has to be connected. It denotes a connection. The connection is, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, because I've been given all authority in heaven and earth, go ye and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Can I ask you a question? Why does the church interpret the Great Commission as go get people saved? Notice Jesus does not stop and say, now there's a new message. The message is I've been to the cross I'm raised from the dead, and anybody that confesses me as Lord will be saved. That would be the perfect time to tell us about the new message, wouldn't it? Because he's commissioning them, he's telling them to go therefore. Now, there's a couple of things that's important here, and I need to make sure I say them before I skip over it and forget that I didn't do it. One is this. Why does Jesus commission the, the church to go therefore into the world? Why doesn't he say, now I'm going to appear to people all over the place, get them saved, so you look for the saved people, I'll send them to you. You baptize them, clean them up, teach them, and so forth. 
Because the very reason that Jesus commissioned the church to go into the world, remember the church would be a church of authority. Whatsoever we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Is because Jesus now has a glorified body, not a flesh and blood body, as he did when he was here on the earth. In other words, Jesus is no longer the son of man. He didn't have authority here anymore. So what he's saying to the church is, you let me use your body, I'll let you use my power. Because you're the ones that have authority here on the earth. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27, now you are the members of Christ, you are the body of Christ, and members in particular. In other words, the whole reason that the Holy Ghost gave Paul the idea and the 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 theme that he goes through several times throughout the letters to the church about Christ being the head and the church being his body is because Christ is the head, doesn't have authority in the earth unless he operates illegally like Satan does. But guess who does have authority in the earth? The one whom God intended to have authority from the very beginning and that was the man that he made in his image. Now through the new birth, we're restored to the image of God The life of God is the source of our authority once again. The name of Jesus is the sign of that authority. And you and I have been commissioned to use the authority that's been given to Jesus, restored back to Jesus, the glory that he had before the earth was. And he's commissioned us to use that here on the earth. But let's don't leave the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not go get people saved. The great commission is go make disciples of all men. Now we've interpreted that, we mean the modern day church, has interpreted that to mean convince people to give their hearts to Jesus. And thank God for the good that's been done as a result. But that's not what Jesus said. Let's read it again. Jesus appears... And says, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Not which I'm going to tell you now, but which I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, what things had Jesus commanded them to do? Well, look with me over to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1. Remember, Jesus said in speaking of the church before the church was ever born. He said, upon the knowledge that I'm the son of God. Again, we know that means the risen son of God. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now the church that the gates of hell shall not prevail against is the one that Jesus describes. And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Notice it starts on the earth. Whether you bind or whether you loose, it starts on the earth. It starts with man exercising his authority and heaven backing him up. 
So the church that Jesus describes is a church that exercises authority. The church that exercises authority is the one that the gates of hell shall not prevail against. It's the one, as one translation says, the gates of hell shall not be able to hold out against. He's describing your authority, not the church itself. He's saying the use of your authority is more than Satan can withstand. And that's the kind of church that he wants. That's the kind of church that he's building. Matthew 10, verse 1. And when he called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power. Again, this is the word authority. Against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now it tells us over the next three verses, it tells us who the 12 were. Skip down to verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded. Remember Matthew 28? All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore into all the earth, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded thee. Past tense, already commanded. Here's what Jesus commanded the disciples to do. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not, but go rather unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Then he talks about don't take anything with you. When you come to a house, let your peace be on it and so forth. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 is Luke's account of the same event. Verse 1, then called he his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And here both the word power and authority are used, the two different Greek words, one meaning ability, the other meaning privilege. He gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases and sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And then in the next couple of verses he says, don't take anything with you and so forth. Verse 6, And they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Look with me over to Luke chapter 10. After these things, verse 1, after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whether he himself would come. Therefore, he said unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth the laborers into his harvest. Talks about not taking anything with them and uh, going to a house and eat such things as are set before them. Skip down with me to verse 9. And heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Now, folks, I want you to realize something. He's not telling them to do something different that they've, other than what they've already done. He's not giving them a new message. He's saying, I have greater authority than I had when I was operating before the resurrection. So go into the world doing the same work that I commanded you to do before. What did he command him to do? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. And preach saying the kingdom of God is coming to you. And so what did they do? They went healing the sick. Casting out devils and raising the dead. We'll read a little bit further over in Luke chapter 10. 
It tells us the result of these 70. Verse 17, And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said, Behold, I, and he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power, this is the word authority, to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power, this is the word ability, of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In other words, here's the point that I'm trying to make. I've been working the whole night long to get to this point. That's why we had to cover some of the ground that we did uh, again. Because this is the great commission. The great commission is to those who will receive you. Heal the sick. Cast out devils. Cleanse the lepers. He even told one group to raise the dead. Why? Because people won't resist that. Let me prove this to you. Let me show you how this is supposed to work. Back up in Luke chapter 10 to verse 13. Jesus is talking about the work of the 70. And notice what he says in verse 13, beginning in verse 13. He said, Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which had been done in you, they would have a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Tyre and Sidon were cities, were Roman cities. They were considered unclean places for Jews. As a result, nobody cared about Tyre and Sidon. It was kind of one of those Jonah situations. Let's don't preach to them. Let's don't do anything good to them because they might repent and then they will escape judgment. That was the attitude that the Jews had toward Tyre and Sidon. And Jesus is saying very specifically, if we had had the people to go into Tyre and Sidon to do the healing and miracle works that had been done in Chorazin and Bethsaida, Tyre and Sidon, who you, can, you the Jews consider to be the worst of the worst of the worst of the sinners, they would have repented. Well, if the worst of the worst of the worst of the sinners of Jesus' day would have repented it by seeing the healings and the, the people being delivered from the work of the devil and so forth, what do we think sinners are going to respond to today? It's not going to be the eloquence of our preaching. Folks, if our ability to preach the gospel was going to get the world saved, the world would have been reached already. There's only one thing that God has given the church to reach the world with, and that is the authority in the name of Jesus. Authority over sickness, authority over disease, authority over devils, even authority over death. I believe the last day revival that we're praying for will be the church waking up to go do the works that Jesus commanded the 12 and the 70 to do. Pure and simple. Now, have I read anything into the Bible that's not there? Jesus said, go into all the world. I've been given authority in heaven and earth, all authority in heaven and earth. So you go, therefore, into the earth. He's saying, I'll take care of heaven, you take care of the earth. Why? Because you, mankind, are the one that has authority on the earth. There's a real religious 
thought. Some people say it, but, but you don't hear it as much nowadays as you used to. And it's real religious sounding thought to say that I need God, but he doesn't need me. That's like saying my body needs my head, but my head doesn't need my body. What can your head do without working through the body? Which is exactly the picture, the example that Paul gives us by the Holy Ghost. My head cannot do one thing that my body doesn't respond to carry out. I can think all day long, but unless my body responds, nothing happens. Well, the plans of God, as perfect as they are, cannot be carried out unless the body, that's us, does something to bring them about here on the earth. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying in Matthew 28. You go into the earth and do the things that I've commanded you to do. It's a different day. There's a different power. There's a different authority. There's a different ability that's upon you. But it's the same work just in a greater measure. Heal the sick, cast out devils, cleanse the lepers and raise the dead. The works that you saw me do, you do also. And that's exactly what the Bible is talking about in John 14, 15, and 16. The works that I did shall you do also, and even greater works than these shall you do. Why? Jesus said, because I'm going to the Father. What did going to the Father affect? Him gaining all authority in heaven and in earth. What he identified in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18 is having obtained the keys of hell and death. What does that mean? Well, the keys of hell and death literally mean the bondage of the consequence of spiritual death. Those things that hold man in bondage, sickness and disease, poverty, lack, and so forth. Jesus now has conquered death, spiritual death for all of mankind. The Bible says he tasted death for all of mankind. So he's conquered it so that you and I could do the works that he did here on the earth. First John chapter 3 verse 8 says the reason Jesus came to the earth was to destroy the works of the devil. So when Jesus is talking about doing the same works in the earth that he did, he means in my name you go destroy the works of the devil. Jesus didn't pray about what works to destroy. He saw the devil and he worked. All it took was somebody exercising faith. And in a lot of cases, it wasn't great faith. In most cases, it wasn't great faith. It was just a seed of faith. And Jesus said we'd do greater works than he did. Now, I don't know how you get greater works in in quality. But maybe there are things to be done for the church to do that Jesus didn't even get to because he couldn't at the time that he was here on the earth. I don't know. But I know he makes no distinction between the works that he did and the works that we did. He makes no distinction in saying something like, now, I'm the son of God, so don't expect to do the same kind of stuff that I did. In fact, he says, you'll do my stuff. The same works and even greater works. Let's close with John 17 again. 
This is part of Jesus' prayer. Jesus prays in John 17, 5, And now, Father, glorify you, glorify me, thou me, with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. He talks about giving us the words of God and, and us keeping them. Um, notice verse 15. I'll just hit this quickly, but I want you to see something. Jesus prayed as a part of this prayer. He said, I pray not that thou should take them out of the world. Talking about us. Not just the disciples that he had then, but those that would believe on him through their words. Well, that's us. Notice he said, I pray not that thou would take them out of the world, but that thou should keep them from the evil. Most translations say the evil one. Folks, do you realize if Jesus had not prayed this, and as soon as you get saved, you'd t- be taken to heaven. He could have changed everything by changing his prayer. But why did he leave us here? Because he needs a church to operate according to his will to carry out his plans and his purpose on the earth. He needs a church that's operating in authority. He says in verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Again, like I said, that's us. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me. And I am in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved me, loved them, excuse me, As thou hast loved me. Father I will that they also whom thou hast given me. Be with me where I am. He's talking about relationship with God. That that they may behold my glory. Which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. I want you to notice what Jesus is saying. This church that is to operate in authority that's to be given the keys of the kingdom of heaven whatsoever we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever we loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven the whole reason or the source the origin for our authority here on the earth to carry out his plan and purpose to destroy the works of the devil just like jesus did when he was here is because we have the same life of god in us that jesus had with the father So we come full circle. God created Adam to have dominion on the earth. The source of his dominion and authority was that he he was made in the image and likeness of God, an exact duplication of God himself. The very same life that was in God was in him. He lost that. Now it's been restored. We've been made one with God just like Jesus was one with God. Folks, 
not a step down or a few steps removed from Jesus being one with the Father. In exactly the same way, Jesus said, you're one with the creator of the universe just like he was. You know, it would do us good to start saying things like that. I am one with the creator of the universe. I am one with Jesus who has all authority in heaven and in earth. Oh, that our eyes would be opened to see who we are in Christ. That's really what it's all about. When you go over to the prayers of Paul, Paul praying by the Holy Ghost, by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost for the church. Paul doesn't pray that God will give us anything except wisdom and revelation in who we have already been made in Christ. That's the only thing he asked God to give us. It's a prayer that our eyes would be open to see who we really are. Because if we see who we really are, then we'll see the power of God that's in us. If we see the power of God that's in us, then we'll use the power of God to reach the world. You know, I'm pretty well convinced of something. And that is if the church, and I don't mean the pastors or just the ministers, I mean the church, believers. These signs shall follow them that believe in my name, Jesus said. If believers start healing the sick, casting out devils, cleansing lepers, healing cancer and leukemia and every other disease known unto man, raise the dead on, on occasions when, when it's necessary and needful. I don't believe we'll have to do any church advertising. Because Jesus clearly says that's what reaches the world. So what did he do? He equipped us with the power to reach the world. All we have to do is exercise the authority that's been given to us. That's it. I know it sounds simple. It sounds simple because it is simple. I know there are obstacles. I know the devil will try to fight you on this. I know the devil will try to make you afraid of what if it doesn't work. I know all those things, but it doesn't change the fact that Jesus gave you authority to carry out his will on the earth. It doesn't change the fact that he said the works that he did, you'll do too. And he even said you'd do greater works. I believe that we need to quit looking for a revival and start one. How do you do that? Lay hands on the sick. Set people free in the name of Jesus. Use the name of Jesus in any way and every way that you see Jesus doing so in the Gospels. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, thank you so much for the authority that we've been given in the name of Jesus. Thank you that your church is a church of authority, restored to dominion on the earth to carry out the purpose and the plan and the will of God. We thank you, Father, that we've been enabled and equipped to destroy the works of the devil just like Jesus was equipped 
when he was anointed by the Holy Ghost when John the Baptist baptized him in the Jordan River. Father, we thank you that our names are written down in heaven and that we have authority over the enemy in our own lives. But Father, we're not satisfied just to be blessed in our own lives. We want to be a blessing to others. So we pray the prayer that Paul prayed for the church. We ask you, Father, to give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. That the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened that we may know what is the hope of your calling. And what are the riches of the inheritance of the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of your power that works in us as believers. The same power that you wrought in Christ when you raised him from the dead. Father, open our eyes to the truth. Which is that we've been commissioned and equipped. To lay hands on the sick and to heal them. To cast out devils. To break the power of the devil over others. You've given us power and authority over every sickness and every disease known to man. You've even equipped us to raise the dead, Father, when necessary. Open our eyes to the truth, Lord. And give unto us boldness to step out and to obey what you told us to do. Simple obedience. We'll trust you with the results, Father. We know what those results will be. The works of Jesus carried out in the earth. Use us, Lord. Use us. You're opening our eyes to the truth. You're helping us to see who we are in Christ. Use us to reach the world. In Jesus' precious name. You can agree with that prayer. Say amen. 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 Well, go look for somebody that's sick that you can lay hands on. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.